Ooh, we we are back, ladies and gentlemen. What it do, baby boo? Hope y'all doing all right. What is today? Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna bring y'all another episode. Then today it is. Uh, we had a heat wave last weekend, and I think a slightly, uh, slight a small one this weekend here in Las Vegas, Nevada. So, you know, you know how it goes, man. I read the books, guarantee. But rest assured, I know the streets coming to you live from Sin City LV. This is Unfiltered Vitamin Z. Yo, I'm hella excited today. I got this uh, new pair of headphones for like 40 bucks. But it's cool. It feels fun. It says for games and DJ. And you know what it is. DJ Herb Z. Uh, 24 months extended warranty. Ha! Huh? And uh, what does it say? Fusion. And it comes with a mic, which, you know, you can record and listen. And then if you don't want to use the mic... Then you can, it has a different set of headphones where you plug and just listen to music. So it's cool. It comes with a little bag. I also got a, uh, what is this? Um, MIDI controller? What the fuck? Um, Akai MPK Mini 2. Uh, so I can um, start practicing on how to make beats because, you know, I had to f- find the free ones off of SoundCloud for the first mixtape, but I want to start releasing tracks and getting better and better uh, with my delivery because I always felt like I could write and, um, you know, I, the, one of the things I hated in school was the English courses, but the most time I would pay attention to those English courses was one, when we, whenever we went over interesting books and whenever we went over artists, whenever we were talking about Frida Kahlo or we were talking about Picasso or, um, or a poet, you know, we went over uh, MLK's letter from Birmingham, uh, which was really dope too, and analyzing, you know, other works and things that people have done, maybe not as much as famous for, but, uh, you know, slightly different works and things uh, different uh, tools of analysis for them as well uh, one of them being was when we're looking at poetry you know there's different ways poets write there's different ways uh, poets also do want to deliver you know what i mean it's like it's essentially what you're doing and if you look at like a lot of tupac's poems and then how you wrap them and how you deliver them and then you can take a rock song you know what i mean you can take the same lyrics from an imagine dragon song and organize it a little bit differently and you can rap them and it could be a, a pretty cool rap or you can use different music in the background and with a different type of singing voice and now you got a rock song so you know like my dad used to always say it's how you deliver the package <laughs> um, it's like a whole like inside joke in the family but if you've seen those videos of like the difference between uh amazon or fedex and ups and how they like drop off the package you know some motherfuckers will just chug it at the door uh and then you got amazon kissing ass because the motherfuckers want to take over the ups because the u.s postal service i don't if i'm not mistaken hasn't been profitable since 2006 and the way amazon's going right now and the way things are so privatized in the u.s they're trying to take over the whole not just the fucking country. if they take over the country they're gonna take over the world and um, of course, the biggest competition is going to be in China. That's for damn sure. And uh, so anyway, just want to get some things out of the way there real quick. That's what I've been up to lately. I hope all of y'all been, you know, uh, checking in on yourself, not just physically, but mentally as well. You know what I'm saying? Like you can eat right and you can exercise right. But another big key, um, that dude that wrote a book about breathing that was on Joe Rogan's podcast, you know, putting breathing as another pillar with diet and exercise because a lot of things, like for example, if you're pre-diabetic, you know, and you go to a doctor, and the doctor can see that, oh shit, you're like borderline about to have diabetes. They can put you on some type of diabetic medication right off the bat, and it's going to be on your record and insurance and all that type of shit. But what they can also go at you with is, you know, different reforms with diet and exercise. The reason a lot of doctors don't do that shit is because they barely take anything on nutrition in medical school. There's like hardly anything they really learn because it's so pharmaceutical. It's um, based and chemistry is more important than biology. 
uh, you know, if you're an undergrad, thinking about it as a major in general, it's better to have chemistry. So it's it's so interesting to see, you know, the market and the type of system and insurance and the type of healthcare system we have in the U.S. is going to relate to the type of education and curriculum and experience, and then in result, the type of doctors we end up having on the streets. And that's why I think, like, for example, look at France. They got one of the best healthcare systems in, uh, in Europe. Of course, it's universal. Just because, like, something's universal, something's free doesn't mean it's good, but it's there. And I think that should be a basic human right. And in France, for example, I mean, like, they take pride, for example, with women. They take pride in the fact that they're, like, naturally beautiful, that they're not you know, obsessed over what they're eating and what they're working out. Everything is a moderation. When you say diet, it's not like, ooh, this keto diet or this type of diet. No, it's like it's nothing fancy. Diet simply means moderation. I took this course, Nutrition and Drugs, and Dr. Gunside, HCC, uh, shout out to him because he's a medical doctor. He came to this country from the UK. He finished high school here. He's like the youngest out of seven kids. And he got so fucking fed up with all the hand-me-downs. And his dad was some had some type of sick job where, you know, he had like a private driver. And he would tell his dad, please, can I go with you to school? Can you just drop me off at you in your, in your car? You have a drive? He's like, nah, you better follow your siblings and hop on that fucking bus. So he came to this country with that... Uh, you know, with that ambition, with that struggle, and becoming a doctor, and he doesn't like the system here. That's why he's at the community college level trying to educate young people, and that's another thing we forget when we say educate yourself. Well, how hard it is sometimes when we look at the education systems and the education that's out there isn't necessarily designed for us to be able to think for ourselves. I mean, that's that's the irony of it, right? Why do you think high school is eight hours a day for a lot of people? So you can get used to working eight hours a day, right? Nine to five. Is that is that eight? Hold up. Nine to noon, three... Yeah, that's eight. Some people work eight to five, but then you have what, maybe a half hour, an hour lunch break. So yeah, about like a full eight hour workday. And then, you know, of course, the bell structure and class to class, lunchtime, that's what it is. It's like work, right? It's doing one thing after another, after another. And so that's not designed for free minded thinking people. And you th- and it's how funny it is to think about in a country that prides itself in thinking of, you know, individualism and free spirit and entrepreneurship, right? That's what a lot of people think of when they think of the United States. They think of entrepreneurs. They think of the, the country with the most amount of millionaires. And, um, and which is true, but hella inequality too. Uh, one of the things I feel like is that the U.S. is oftentimes a country that's does the defined by who it is recently immigrating you know what i mean like if you look at for example the new york subway system was built by italians and you look at the uh irish and jewish immigrants too irish for example them motherfuckers were the shit they were everywhere they were you know it doesn't matter what ethnicity you were what type of immigrant your you know was a pastor or priest at your church was probably irish your fireman's gonna be irish your cops were irish they were the americans that every new immigrant group saw even though they were considered americans by you know the wasp by the white anglo-saxon protestants because you know the irish were catholics uh, i was reading i'm working on my thesis which is related to uh global health security and governance and one of the articles I was reading about was a history of, you know, of, of pandemics and of other issues related to global health. And one of the things was talking about a disease that started in the U.S. goes to Ireland and attacks their potato. Uh, of course, they had the potato famine, which resulted in like half of the country immigrating here. And I was like, oh, shit. So that's a virus. It was, it was a disease that started here in the U.S. and goes to Ireland, infiltrates their farms and result in them coming here and then we have the audacity to get pissed why the fuck they're coming to our country we know we don't want them they were called the black men of europe and there was like a lot of designs i told you science and racism used to go hand in hand all the time still does in a lot of aspects and it was using 
the jaws, drawing off the jaws of Irish men and compare them to the jaws and the head structure of black people and saying that, you know, this is the, they're the black men of Europe and this is another reason why we shouldn't let them into the country. But they're the ones doing everything. That's why Americans, uh, new immigrants were so confused because they're like, but they're the ones that taught us everything. There are firemen, there are cops, there are teachers, they're everything. And um, I think another interesting thing was that they taught new immigrant groups because Irish, ironically, even though they were throwing in the same puddle as uh, with black folk, Irish, actually, a lot of them were racist against black folk. And so they taught other immigrant groups like the Italians how and why to hate black people. So racism, that type of hatred, it always gets taught, right? You know, what did, oh, shit, I hate to bring up Kanye because that's like so controversial right now. But I think it's still funny what he said. Um, I forgot which song, but he said, you know, hater people, you know, haters, marry haters, and I've hated kids. That's just the way it is. And so same thing with migration. You see that con conti uh, continuous retelling of that same narrative of, you know, somebody coming in, not liking somebody, and then new people come in. They'll hate on them too, but they get them to hate on other people as well. Now, I saw those same similarities when I was discussing uh, a little bit of Israeli migration, uh, a little bit of, of Arab-Jewish migration to Israel with uh, Professor Levy at USF History Department. Yo, shout out to USF. And what was interesting was that in like in the 70s, even up to the early ladies. And I have a good friend of mine too um, in Spain whose grandparents immigrated from Yemen. But that's what you had. You had Arab Jews from Yemen and other areas immigrating to Israel. And I've even seen pictures of like full planes of them being loaded up from Yemen going straight to Israel. Um, and if his grandparents settled in near Jerusalem, that's where him and his mom were born. My friend Yanni. Shout out to Yanni. And um, you see, and here's the thing. Arab Jews and Arab Christians and Muslims have both told in Israel have both told me about the sort of hierarchies and racism involved in the country and regardless of occupation not even just talking about occupation just in the country itself you know from Haif all the way down to Tel Aviv just talking about the different types of Jews because you have Ashkaizi Jews you know European descent and you got your Sephardic Jews you know um, from the Arab world, leaving the Iberian Peninsula as well. And that's the thing. Some of the first Jews to immigrate to the U.S. came from Brazil and ended up, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, in Savannah, Georgia. Because what you happened was Brazil being a Dutch colony and then transferring over to a Portuguese colony. So those Jews were like, oh, fuck. We remember what happened when we were in the Iberian Peninsula. So like, let's get out of here. And they ended up going to Savannah, Georgia. And then, of course, some of the first few communities um, started to develop uh, in, the, in the U.S. along the eastern coast because, you know, Jews historically, wherever they are, were not allowed to own farmland. So that's one of the first things you do, right, is you buy land, you start raising animals, start growing food and selling shit at markets. And so why do you see them in jewelry and other types of finance and, and you know, city living and city uh, politics and economics is because they weren't allowed to own land. So they tried, so they tried to flourish and a lot of them did flourish and what you know sort of corners we uh we the people as in ruling societies have put them in you know they were close to the king they were doing the king's uh, bookkeeping and accounting and shit in spain and anytime some, something happens they're just the first people to get blamed and i think it always goes back to that sort of minority aspect and of course that's why Theodore Herzl, you know, following the Dreyfus Affair in France, I wrote a paper about that, um, actually. The Dreyfus Affair was, you know, a, a French soldier who was Jewish, who was blamed of sort of being a spy, which turned out to be not true. But what you saw was the escalation and hatred towards one person and saying that, you know, he was not part of this country and betrayed us and everything. And it turned out it was false, it was falsely accused. 
And because he was Jewish, now one of the main journalists on, on that case was Theodore Herzl. Theodore Herzl was one of the pioneers of sort of, of the term Zionism in the late 1890s. You know, they had a conference in Switzerland basically saying like, look at what these motherfuckers did to this one dude. Uh, they still don't accept us. They still don't see us as Europeans. So you had these sort of Ashkaizi Jews German-speaking socialist atheists saying, yo, we need to go back to Palestine. We need a land where we can be safe. And that's why, like, it's like some, a lot of people are pissed that it shouldn't be a Jewish state. No, that's exactly what they want. They want to be, uh, they want to have that Jewish state uh, and that sort of conflict between being a Jewish state and being a democracy. Well, first of all, you ain't never going to be on democracy when you got occupation. That's for one thing. Like, it was a joke to call themselves a democracy before, uh, let alone now. And so I bring that all up to say is, you have this hierarchy, you sort of have this conflict uh, between the European Jews and the Middle Eastern Jews, you know, and of course there's Christians there too, and Arab Christians and Arab Muslims, it's, it's, and then the Ethiopians. So that's the thing, it's like, who hated the Palestinian Muslims and Christians the most in the 70s and 80s? It was the newcomers, it was the Arab Jews. They, brought, they were brought back in and they were taught by everybody else that had been there before, yo, these are the motherfuckers we don't like, but they had just been living and, and living and speaking Arabic and living in with Arab Christians and Muslims for so long, and now they're being taught you know, a new dynamic of racism. And then of course, who comes in after? Because a big part of labor, like I was walking around Tel Aviv this past winter, and all the construction shots uh, I walked by, they were all Arabs. So I was like, wait a minute, the same motherfuckers blowing these shits up are, are the ones fixing it? That doesn't make any sense. So that's what happens is after a certain war or an issue, uh, especially with the Intifadas and everything, and they don't want to uh, give Palestinians visas. Like my uncle, for example, works in Tel Aviv now. A lot of people, um, you know, my uncle used to work with his brother in a restaurant in Jerusalem. Uh, when they first went, because uh, they went from Venezuela to Palestine. And that Jewish restaurant owner in Jerusalem, I think most of the entire kitchen staff hired from, from my family's village. Uh, so you see that sort of, that labor aspect plays a role. That's why they brought the Ethiopians because they're like, fuck, we don't want to keep hiring the Arabs. We got issues with them right now. You know, it's a war or whatever. Uh, let's bring the Ethiopians in, right? Let's convert them to Judaism, which is a bit ironic because, you know, we're talking about a religion and an ethnicity. You can't just really, I mean, Jewish people are not, concerned with people converting that really doesn't do anything for them and um so they bring ethiopians to be a labor force and and they're so discriminated against and hated on and yet they're the one they hate arabs too they hate the palestinians too it's so fucking ridiculous they call us terrorists and shit i walked around south tel aviv because they're one of the major uh bus stops when you're trying to take um those passenger vans from jerusalem to tel aviv um it's in a it, I, I don't want to know if I don't know if it's a predominantly Ethiopian neighborhood, but I just see a lot of Ethiopians walking around, and um, some people from North Tel Aviv don't like going there because it's like sketchy for them. You know what I mean? And of course, it's funny how you see the sort of like weed smoking black person sitting on a corner, you know, sort of sketching his fear, racist stereotype, even in Israel, just as you do in cities and hoods around the U.S. And so there again, so that transfer that. Uh, transfer of racism right? just there's always a transfer of knowledge in some case and unfortunately sometimes racism is knowledge for some people it's i mean it's a it's a tool it's like hey watch out for these people watch out for this neighborhood um in spain you know i'm told to watch out for moroccans even though i look moroccan so the, Mor the moroccans don't fuck with me now uh, i got robbed by one uh, once in barcelona that's a different story uh but in my town in Salamanca, you know, it's not a, you see some Moroccan families, but we're talking about a university town with young people and old people, um, an always conservative town. They're always center right, um, no doubt, whenever they're voting uh, for the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years. 
And so, you know, sometime in the street, like at one time at night, this dude called me Puto Maraki, which means like a fucking Moroccan. And I just laughed. I didn't even know what to say. It was like, okay. Um, so it's weird to experience uh, racism in a different light because, you know, in Florida, I'm Puerto Rican. Um, in Texas, I'm Mexican. Um, in Vegas, I could pass off for anything. It's a diverse city. Uh, but in Spain, I'm definitely Moroccan. Shit, that's, that's without a doubt. <laughs> uh, they're more afraid. See, here's the thing. They see a lot of Moroccans that come in and sort of, you know, in, especially in Barcelona. Their uh, crime rings, you know, they're stealing phones from tourists and locals alike, uh, selling drugs and all that type of shit. Um, so they don't really like that. Um, I think it's also, there's a bit of Islamophobia too in the country, for sure. However, from the Spanish people that have told me that they visited uh, uh, Morocco, a lot of them, uh, most of them have told me great things. I know one kid from Salamanca actually road tripped with his family, took their car and then hopped on the ferry and then drove around Morocco too. So they all tell me great things. Um, they just tell me things about the people that come that they don't like. Uh, which happens a lot of times. You'd be surprised that a lot of times the people that leave a country and migrate are not the best representatives of that country. And then unfortunately, a lot of times what you see in a country is the very poor, you know, obviously are not going to leave, right? And, and uh, historically in migration, it's usually the middle that are going to leave, right? If you're rich in a country, why are you going to leave? I mean, especially with, even with the Lebanese Civil War. Yeah, there was a bunch of Lebanese that went to Paris and were skiing in Switzerland. But there's a lot of rich that stayed because they're like, why the fuck would I start over somewhere else? There's a lot of rich people in Venezuela that are, a lot of Arabs too are rich in Venezuela. They're like, fuck, why would I leave? I'm not going to be poor somewhere else. But it's the middle that want to leave. It's the middle that always get shit on, right? Because if you're poor financially, a lot of people are also poor with a mindset as well. And what happens in that case is a lot of times, hey mama, uh, I'm just recording for the podcast. And so what happens a lot of times in that case is then you think that you need a better life for you, your family, your kids. So it's the middle class that wants to leave. And it's the middle class that sort of have that sort of, you know, mindset, that sort of micro to macro, like shit, my micro sucks right now, but they have a bigger macro that says, I need to get out of here. I need to find something better for me. So those are the people generally that are going to leave. And um, so that's what happens um, with other forms of migration, you know, in terms of like Central America, that's... Uh, that's more related to uh, uh, climate migration, right? If you, for example, you know, coffee farms in Honduras don't really work, don't, aren't really growing the same way. Soil changes, water's changing. Uh, a lot of these things are not the same for everybody to continue to live as a farmer. It's like, okay, fine, I'll try to go to the city. Well, the city is our, our tough as it is. They, you know, criminal organizations and safety and all that shit. So eventually you realize, damn, it's not going to work out for me here either. Excuse me. Only option left is to, is to go north. And that's where we saw with the caravan and everything. And of course, there's still a lot of issues neglected with that and with ICE um, and with the kids and camps. And I, that still hasn't been solved. I don't know what the hell's going on down there. But climate migration is something big that's going to be happening a lot more often too. Uh, there was a uh, few articles uh, that I follow on uh, organiz environmental organizations that I follow on Twitter have been talking about how by 2050, a third of people in the world could be living in extremely hot temperatures. And that's going to really motivate a lot of people to get out of where they're living. And of course, it's going to be even worse with natural disasters because warmer temperatures, more hurricanes, more typhoons, all that type of shit. And that's not even including unpredictable things like earthquakes. So people are going to have to leave where they are and we're going to have to start accommodating that. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be a lot of people just left to drown. Uh, 
Uh, so the earlier that we can plan, the earlier that we can look into that and, and finding ways to move people around and accommodate them, especially if we're going to talk about global health, global security, a global world in general. I'm not saying an argument for open borders, but definitely open, you know, relocation, global relocation, taking somebody, I don't give a fuck where you're born. You don't have a home. We need to open up homes for people. It's not that hard. Uh, the idea of homelessness in the U.S. I talked about too. My grandfather was hella confused when he came to the U.S. I mean, he said shit on whatever you want in Palestine, but he's like, I don't see nobody homeless in my village. Everybody got a place to stay. And it's true. Um, there's certain things culturally we have to look at cultural solutions to a lot of things because in reality the way we live some of times or our cultural ideals and values uh, leads to sort of different behaviors and actions uh, for example you look at mediterranean countries right everybody says shits on them politically and economically but look at their micro right the weather and how chill they are and everything so they're a bit more disorganized on a macro polit politics and everything and then look how weird austrians are right i heard in vienna germany like some shit like that people there and when you hang out with them they're like yeah i'm free next friday let me um um, it's 4.30 to 5.45, okay? Like, you gotta fill in a slot. There's no way you're gonna do that with me, with Latinos, with Mediterranean people. That's just that's just not gonna happen. What do you mean? Like, we'll hang out whenever we hang out. If we don't, we don't. If, if we do, we do. Can't plan and organize those things. But then, that's them on a micro, but them on a macro, it's like, oh, fuck. Germany's hella efficient. These people, paperwork, and everything, it's just so easy to deal with these people because their micros, you know, are represented, uh, represented into their macros too. So it would be great to have a, a good balance of the two, you know what I mean? Not to be so cold and a pain in the ass on a micro, but not to be so inefficient on a macro either, especially when we're talking about, you know, economic crises in Europe and shit like that. It's, it's not fun. So yeah, climate migration, man, is something that it's, it's, it's a big thing and people are going to have to move. People are going to have to be accommodated and we won't, we won't be able to focus on looking at it like, oh, we don't want Muslims immigrating to Europe or we don't want these people. We don't want Africans or whatever the fuck it is. You can't look at it on such a surface level. You got to look at it like shit. These people got to leave. These people got to go. Uh, this is unbearable temperatures, this is unsafe, this is because the more instability you get with climate, the more instability you're going to get politically, violence, you know, famine, all types of shit. And it's going to be like a global like rescue mission for people all over around the world. And so from here, we've got the next 30 years, you know, to really get our shit together before shit really hits the fan. So in preparation for that, that's just a little bit on migration, a little bit on passing down, you know, the way racism plays, that sort of narrative that you saw, you know, the Irish teaching other immigrant groups about racism and how new immigrants like Arab Jews in the 70s and 80s. Um, just a quick note, too, about that. Uh, the prime minister, damn, I forgot who was the prime minister in the late 70s, early 80s in Israel, but basically their economic principles started to, you know, align a lot with Reagan. They were hella buddies with Reagan. And... Um, you know, even here in the U.S., from the 40s to the 80s, you didn't see that big much of inequality. A lot of uh, there's and then from the 80s onwards, you saw growing inequality. You know, you saw the rich get richer and you saw the poor get poor. Same thing happened in Israel. Right. Same. That sort of trickled on economics. And then, of course, because Israel and Palestine uh, economies are so intertwined, you saw the same levels of inequality, too. So that's another thing to um, to make note of as well is that um, the sort of the way political economy uh, plays a role into migration and racism as well. So thank you all for listening. I'm just trying out these new headphones, the mic and everything. So if y'all heard everything good, you know, let me know. Uh, take care. And um, yeah, follow me on Twitter, Captain Homeless. Follow me on Instagram, The Captain Homeless. Uh, check out previous episodes. If this is your first time listening. I appreciate you. And I hope y'all have a good one. Juma Shabbat Shalom. Take it easy, y'all.